the building is actually located in the neighborhood my family has, is originally from. And that's the same neighborhood where my grandmother's grandfather would have to go out two o'clock in the morning with his shotgun waiting for the Klan to come down the street to turn them back around and go the opposite direction. And so from a personal historical standpoint, for me, this whole idea of reclamation and coming back full circle, but in a way that could elevate the narrative and tell it differently, that's part of that imposter piece that I was dealing with. Like, wow, now that I actually have maybe the power to inspire more women in this business, but also to elevate my own ancestry and, and elevate that whole narrative around Black-owned business in a city and in a, in a country and in a, in a region where my grandmother's grandfather had to turn around the Klan. Do I deserve it? And can I make that narrative come true? Hey, listeners, this is our second coaching session with Winona Satcher, founder of Maker Studios, a design firm and manufacturing studio in Atlanta that takes old shipping containers and turns them into gorgeous spaces. Our first coaching session with her was in August of 2021. And this is a follow-up coaching session tackling a whole new problem that she's dealing with. This is the iFund Women Show podcast. I'm Karen Kahn, founder and CEO of the company, and I get to coach entrepreneurs on the pod live. Check it out. And we are recording. Okay. I have to like catch my breath. What a fucking morning. Holy shit. (laughs) Winona, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Oh, it's been a whirlwind, so I'm still catching my breath as well. Winona, <laughs> I'm catching my breath because entrepreneurship mm. is so hard, always. Yes. So I'm, in the, I'm, I'm feeling the same way because also entrepreneurship also throws a lot at you at once. And trying to figure out how to, want, you know, it's like what you said before, Karen, our last, our last session on this podcast, it takes five years of being overnight success. And it's like once it hits, everything hits. and so. The, the whirlwind of trying to catch all of the opportunity, but also to balance your own personal doubts about whether you even deserve it or not. And that's what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> so, Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yes. That was an ending to that update that I didn't expect. So what I think I just heard you say was that entrepreneurship throws all the stuff at you. Like you're working, working, working. And then all of a sudden in like year three or four, all the good stuff starts happening all at once. So it's a total pile on, it's overwhelming. And then where you went with this, which was interesting, is that you're still wondering like if you deserve this. So you're still feeling some sense of imposter syndrome, which is not something I've heard from you before. Tell me about that. Yeah, it, that's, that's, that's true um, because I rarely ever talked about it. Uh, but no, it's, you know, for, well, for one thing, thanks for asking for me to talk more about it, because one thing about iPhone women is that there are not a lot of spaces that hold and support space for women to talk about these, these things, right, as an entrepreneur. So I appreciate you for that um, and, and, and do it in a way that's safe and um, secure. So, you know, what do you think happens. you don't deserve about it? So tell us a couple of cool things so that have I- happened. I mean, I've seen it on the socials, but you tell us what has all like come in, like business come in, or is Mm -hmm. it, have you found a board member, which we were talking about before, which can take years. So like, whatever, (laughs) I think I saw you got a space. So like, tell us about all the good stuff and then tell us about like why you feel like you don't deserve it. So the good stuff is yes, uh, more business, but what's really critical 
what was really critical for us was getting our first manufacturing facility, which is what you saw on social media. Uh, we toured it back in August when we didn't really have a lot of funding. We had just enough to get a small space, but not really what we needed, which is another thing I'll talk about later. But we knew that we could not grow and scale the business, period, and as projected without a space. And so literally when we toured the space in August, a couple of days later, we found out we received more funding. And we said, okay, you know, fuck it. We're going to get a bigger space because that's actually what we need. And so now we are, we are in a position to, and I mentioned this before in our last session, to now we can strategically go from an operationally D2C to become a B2B business and be, you know, extremely competitive, grow and scale our business, not just here in the Southeast, but nationally because of this space. And it also has positioned us to be able to attract those board of directors, which I have not yet uh, brought on yet, um, that we need to be successful because of this space. Everybody was kind of waiting for us to see if we were legitimate, even though we were, you know how that is as a woman. Oh yeah. We knew we were legitimate, but there are certain tangible things you have to do <laughs> to really show that, 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 that you are and that you can make things move and, make, and, and, and move forward. And wow. so can we just pause there for a second? Yes. Okay. So that is, gosh, I'm so glad we're having these conversations. And first of all, thank you for being willing and vulnerable and brave enough to come on the show and talk about what it's really like, because Mm -hmm. as you and I both know, there's so much BS out there. There's so much fluff. People skip all of these hard, hard, hard moments and the real truths about what it's like being a woman entrepreneur in -hmm. particular, in your case, a black woman entrepreneur in the manufacturing and real estate space in the South. Mm-hmm. And so there's an extra multi, multi layers on top of that. So going back to the space, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. That is so <laughs> exciting. Like I would scream yes. if I wasn't a, yes, yes, so exciting. So you got a space big enough. And for those who didn't listen to the first episode of the show with Winona on it, you first of all got to go back and listen to it. But essentially (laughs) Winona takes shipping containers, these huge things and turns them into useful and creative spaces, such as clinics, educational spaces, housing. housing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you need a big manufacturing facility to house and work on and refabricate a shipping container because beforehand, were you doing it outside? We were doing everything outside. You know, we were, you know, literally I was out there helping pour concrete uh, when it's muddy. We're sinking. Our forklifts were sinking. You know, it's not a joke. <laughs> it's like, no, it is, is not a joke. Construction. This is real estate is, you know, and then because we were building outside, it took a project that should have been built in a couple of weeks, took a year and a half. Wow. Uh, and so how can, you, how can you sell something that doesn't come to fruition because other things you can't control? Now we can control a hell of a lot more than we did before that, right? And with 12,000 square feet, we can build multiple units, eight to 10 units at once in a space, covered space, safe for our subcontractors, especially those that are black and brown subs who were immigrants and refugees who were afraid to actually meet us on site because it wasn't a safe space to be. Uh, Wow. Winona, oh my goodness. So so I mean, again, we have to pause there. (laughs) I mean, because what you have done by securing the funding and securing the space, forget the, forget the, how it looks, because yes, Mm -hmm. that's important. But Mm -hmm. what you have done is you have created, it sounds like 10 
20 jobs yes, for right. people of color and immigrants in your factory. Yes. Yes. And let me tell you this quick tidbit. So people who are perceived as our competitors, all male, especially white male dominated, they have two, 300,000 square feet of space way out in the middle of nowhere. That is not our business model. You know, this whole patriarchal idea that bigger is better, it's not always true, right? And so for us, it was small steps for big impact, meeting people where they are, holding space, literally owning a space, leasing a space in communities of color where it's next to transit. And so, so we're five minutes from subway and there's a, there's a bus stop up the street so that we have create access for those individuals who we can hire, who should hire. That's one piece. The other piece is from a historical standpoint, the building is actually located in the neighborhood my family has, is originally from. And that's the same neighborhood where my grandmother's grandfather would have to uh, go out two o'clock in the morning with his shotgun waiting for the Klan to come down the street to turn them back around and go the opposite direction. And so from a personal historical standpoint, for me, this whole idea of reclamation and coming back full circle, but in a way that could elevate the narrative and tell it differently, that's part of that imposter piece that I was dealing with. Like, wow, now that I actually have maybe the power to inspire more women in this business, but also, you know, to elevate my own ancestry and, and elevate that whole narrative around Black-owned business in a city and in a, in a country and in a, in a region that was where my grandmother's grandfather had to turn around the clan. Do I deserve it? And can I make that narrative come true? And the answer is yes. But that, uh, that, those, these are the things that are, so it's a very multidimensional wow. conversation around imposter syndrome. It's not just about whether I deserve to grow the company. It literally is a very personal and deep conversation around, do I even deserve to be in this space? And that's what, that's what I've been dealing with since Friday when we signed the lease. <laughs> so the hair on my arms is standing up. My yeah. entire body has chills because I understand exactly, not exactly, obviously it's a different situation, but I understand what you're saying in terms of the type of imposter syndrome. So mm -hmm. let me, let me, let me repeat back to you what I think you said. Okay. Just okay. so I can make sure I understand what I think I heard you say was that it wasn't that you thought you couldn't do the job because mm -hmm. obviously you've been doing the job. Right. It was more about, am I the person that is actually going to reclaim this area and rejuvenate it and bring it out to its full potential for black and brown people, given my ancestry. Am I this chosen person? That's correct. That's I had, right. You and I are always cosmically connected. I mean, we truly <laughs> That's are. Right. <laughs> That's right. We, we are. And I will tell you that it has been a really rough month at mm -hmm. I Find Women Incorporated. Just there's a, just been a million things I don't know, Mercury's in retrograde. I, I kind of starting to believe that shit, but yeah, it's just been a rough month and it's been a horrible bunch of months for women, mm -hmm. you know, Texas abortion ban. And yep. then I didn't even know there were marches going on all around the country over the weekend because I'm like, I'm so fucking sick of marching. But yeah, I but like right. all the, all the Gen Zers and the millennials, like march your little hearts out and that's Gen right. Xers mm -hmm. and old people like God bless. Yeah. And I love right. a march. I always love a march, but I'm fucking tired of marching. Yeah. I didn't need, mm -hmm. I, I really, I was so like overwhelmed with just running this business. Mm -hmm. And then I see all these posters of the march and I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's so cool. Everyone's out marching. And I think I put up a post on Instagram, like, 
here are some of my favorite signs, just so people know I didn't march, not because I don't believe in marching, but because I'm just so fucking tired of marching. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I'm passing the baton and I was watching the Patriots Bucks game last night with my biting my fingernails because yep. you know I'm a Pats fan. However, I did pivot I last year. Yep. No, no, but let, let me be clear. <laughs> me and my boy, Tommy, we pivoted. I went with Tommy and Gronk okay. and I'm loud and proud. I could care less what people judge me. Fine. Okay. So I'm watching the game with a friend last night. And at the same time, I'm doing work mm-hmm. and this is going to really fucking piss you off the story. So I'm writing a blog post about a new entrepreneur who's on iPhone women. And her name is Jill Jefferson. I don't know if you've heard of her. And Mm -hmm. this is a huge trigger warning. Jill Jefferson is a lawyer, UVA undergrad, Harvard Law from Mississippi, Black woman, dealt with racism her whole life. She worked Mm -hmm. for Congressman John Lewis. She worked in the Obama White House. She is one of the few slash only civil rights attorneys who will take on these modern day lynching cases of which there are many, many, many that happen like in Massachusetts in 2020 in Mississippi in 2018. I mean, they're just going to happen all over the country. No Mm -hmm. one talks about it. So, Mm -hmm. so Jill and her legal firm, Julian, Julian was named after one of the major civil rights activists, Julian Bond. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't have to tell you, thank you for knowing what I'm talking about. So her firm, Julian are raising money on iFund women because they do these lynching cases pro bono for the families. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. She's amazing. She's a warrior. She was paying the bills by taking on sports and entertainment cases at her $600 an hour rate. But the reality is Doing a lynching case mm. takes up to $400,000 in funding That's deep. and she, she lives hand to mouth. So I'm like, I am doing everything I can to like rally all like my like white liberal rich people to write a check into this campaign and get this woman some funding yes. because this is like crazy. So I'm like, okay, how can I do this? So I'm starting to write a LinkedIn blog post and she's had so much media been in the Washington Post, been on ABC News. I mean, she is the, the she is the person. Mm-hmm. And as I'm doing it, I'm uh, showing, I was with a couple of friends, we were watching the game and I was in a shitty mood. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm writing this blog post. And like, I'm literally sick to my stomach with, yeah. with what I'm writing and what, you know, I have no right to be sick to anything. Like I'm a privileged white lady, but like, I'm writing this, I'm sick to my stomach. And one of my friends was like, oh, can I see? I'm like, sure. And I showed the person the part of the blog post. And I was like, just watch this video. Mm-hmm. And this person was a white male. He watched the video and his reaction was, her lighting is terrible. Like oh, what, what is she wearing? Oh my God. And I went fucking bananas. Jeez. I was like, that's your response. Oh, out of everything to- happening. <laughs> uh, wow. Of everything I just told you, that's your response. I go, wow. welcome to being a woman. All they mm-hmm. want us to do is look pretty and smile. That's right. That's it. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, why am I doing this? I threw my mm-hmm. hands up. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is a moment where I'm like, you know what? We're going backwards anyway. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? And the person looked at me like, oh my God, I really <laughs> pushed, pushed a button. I'm like, you did push a button. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You, you did. are like every other white guy. You say you're woke. You're so not fucking woke. So to your point, 
I've had these moments before about mm-hmm. like, am I the person to help try to solve this problem? That's so systemic. Yeah. And so not moving forward. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are some things in funding for women that are moving forward and it's not all doomsday, but the data don't lie. We've That's gone right. backwards. And anyone that listens to the show knows the numbers. Yep. If you need a refresher, quick, quick, quick. We peaked at venture capital funding at 2.8% in 2018. And since then we've slid back to 2.3%. That's all female founding companies. And everyone is saying, you know, all these major corporations, yes, we're, we're we have to fund our DNI metrics. We have to fund black women and provide VC funding, but it never reaches, it, it hits the gatekeepers and that's where it stops. Yeah. And it's not reaching us. I mean, in some cases, I feel like iFund Women has done a good job of finding the women who need and deserve the funding like you, but it's never enough. Like a $10,000 grant, while that's great, it's great. It's not even a fucking drop in the bucket. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, white guys look at these like grant amounts and they're like, what is this person going to do with like 10 or $20,000? And I'm like, you're you're right, but that's Mm -hmm. all we can get. So, Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So- to your point, and again, I want to stop rambling about this. I get that feeling of imposter syndrome. I'm like, am I really qualified to take this on? Because mm-hmm. maybe I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like truly, maybe we need like some like white guy to come in and solve this problem. Or maybe yeah. we need a woman in banking and finance and some that can go and get like hundred mm-hmm. million, you know, billion dollar checks, but yet we're not a nonprofit. So it's a whole thing, but yeah, I relate. I relate to what you're saying is what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's deep, and what has helped me is to take the time to remind myself during mindfulness and meditation practices, which I got to you know do more of. I used to do it a lot when I was a kid, uh, and so t- bad on me, but I'm, I'm trying to get back into. So that, you did it practices. when you were a kid. What does a kid I did. mean? So uh, I started med- learning meditation, um, practicing meditation and mindfulness when I was about 10. Start- Tell me about actually- that. That's very yeah. rare for a 10-year-old. You and I, I think are similar ages. I'm 47. How old are you? 40. Just turned 40. Just turned 40. Oh my God, just you're a turned peanut. It <laughs> doesn't feel like it. You're a millennial. Uh, I am. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my grandmother got me started in that practice. At a, at a very interesting age, uh, 10 years old, 11 years old, those are really interesting times for children uh, and, their, and their space of imagination um, and transitioning to adolescence, pre-adolescence. So started practicing, I mean, religiously meditation and mindfulness at that age and, and did so until college when, you know, shit got real. I'm focusing in architecture school, all that just kind of, you know, I, I didn't go away, but it was definitely buried. But I, you know, looking back, those practices really helped me. I was better in math. I was better in science and I was better in art doing that. May, um, may I ask you, yeah. was there a specific type of meditation? It wasn't a specific type. It was just the, really the fundamentals of what it means to switch, switch the noise off uh, and to focus in a way that is different from prayer. And, and how and, did your and, grandmother teach you to do that? So uh, she taught me through chanting and vowel sounds, which is, you don't usually hear that a lot, even though she grew up like a lot of people in in church and black AME churches, but uh, she was a lifelong educator and researcher of her own in in, in various religions and mystical orders. And so at that time, uh, she was was delving deep into this idea of, of meditation in Buddhism 
uh, and mindfulness and different levels of spirituality that you just typically, especially back then, you didn't hear about in yoga and incense. And so, wow. um, yeah, that is so innovative. How, how lucky are you to grow up in that environment? I don't know any, any children, black, brown, white, who grew up in that environment. Again, now that I know that you're a millennial, it makes a little more sense, but (laughs) at least for my, you know, my contemporaries and, and contemporaries, oh my God, I'm sounding older as this fucking (laughs) podcast goes along, (laughs) you know, my friends and, and people about older than me, like that was not even like, they, they gave me like a fucking baseball and a bat and they were like, Mm -hmm. go play with the boys in the street or I'd get the shit kicked out of me. I'm like, yep. that was my, yeah, no, I was the opposite of meditative. <laughs> yeah. It's something you really don't hear about uh, a lot. And, you know, she had researched and I had gone to Montessori school when I was a kid. And this whole idea of even younger than that, of self, self-sufficiency practicing, looking at the Eastern religions and, and mysticism. Uh, and it's funny how, you know, as a kid, you don't really know how to articulate that until you're an adult about what it has done for you, but it is a practice. And so it, it's, I recently saw a quote, I don't remember who said it, but it, it's, it's one of those, I think it says something like, don't do something where you are so focused on the equation. It's all about knowing the reasoning behind it, right? And so how do you apply what you've learned, the, the time of which you need it? Not necessarily, it might not be the same type of meditation then, but at least I have the basics and the fundamentals. And so I'm listening so intensely yeah. because I need this. Yeah. So you're saying that I think I asked you, like, how are you getting through this or how are you, how do you deal yeah, with so, it? You so for me, meditate. The, so like, give me the deets. I need help. So, you know, meditation is extremely focused. And so what I've had to do is take time to determine what I'm going to meditate on. And for me, it's been, five, well, two things, taking five minutes to practice and meditate on gratitude, just being extremely thankful that I'm even at this point and, and potentially have the opportunity to redefine the industries that we are in and hold space for others. The other thing is to meditate on the fact that who actually is my audience? And so all those clowns out there who always want to see us just smile and and nod our head and not ask questions and not do things differently, they're not even my audience. You know, some of our biggest (laughs) opponents to what we're doing actually are in our industry. So architects can't stand us. Contractors can't stand us because we are doing things differently. We're, we're imagining space differently. And I have to remember that they're all typically very privileged people. So they're not even my audience. Like you're, they are, you are not, I'm not building this for you. And when you meditate on that, you realize that those individuals who make up the audience, make up the people you're building for, there are a lot more of them than the other. And so that reminds me that, okay, clearly the need is there. This is a solution that nobody else is doing our way. And there are hints and reminders. If you really listen to those individuals, some who might be strangers on the street who remind you that you are, you are needed and you're doing what you're supposed to do. And so that reminder has kept me going. The, the gratitude piece, the practice of that and the practice of being mindful that the people who have caused these problems and, and continue to sustain these problems, especially around women founders, are not my audience, period. When, like that's Winona, just not even what I'm here to do. Winona, you just coach the coach. Oh, well, you, that's because you, you, you're a good coach. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, I needed, I needed that because mm. I have been trying to convince the wrong people to care. Yeah, people yeah. that have created and sustained the problem for women, the many problems mm-hmm. for women, which are all inextricably linked. You take mm-hmm. away our right to choose what we do with our bodies. 
you take away our opportunities for financial advancement. It's all inextricably linked. And so I've been fighting this, like, we got to raise VC thing. We've got to just up-level the company. We've got to scale. For us, it's, we have tech products that are ready to scale. And Mm -hmm. that means that I need to go out and raise another round of VC, which is really giving me serious stomach pains and a couple of total anxiety, total anxiety. Yeah. Total anxiety, because I know that I am pitching to people that are not my audience, but what mm -hmm. you just gave me, what you just gave me, my friend, and thank you. And thank you to your grandma who taught you to meditate. (laughs) I'm really, thank you for this advice is there are, there aren't enough and they don't write big enough checks, but there are people out there that are on our side. Yeah. Men and women, to be clear, men and women. And to date, I've been focusing on them and the checks just aren't big enough. We have so many more women to serve and we finally figured out how to do it scalably. Mm -hmm. And we just need the money to hire the engineers and the data scientists. And like, we have them in house where I need to triple the staff. Yeah. Because, you know, you get it. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, so we need venture capital. Although I've been kind of thinking like, fuck it. Should I just like equity crowdfund? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and, and see, that's the, that's another thing, you know, it's it's difficult because everybody's business is different uh, and everybody's, you know, growth is different. I've realized that again, probably 99.9% of opportunity when it comes to funding, when it comes to safe spaces are not going to be in my industry. It's the most bizarre, like everyone that I know that has supported us People I haven't even met in person yet. It's all been virtual. No, none of them are in my industry. I've learned to, well, it's, it's really a continuous practice to try to hone in on a narrative that sells to people who are journalists, who are doctors. Those are individuals because they are at the front line of truth telling, you know, for lack of a better phrase, of seeing the problems, you know, day to day. They're the ones that seem to get it. It's the industry that has no construction manufacturing, I mean, I might as well talk to a brick wall. And you would think it would be the opposite. So it's amazing how many allies we have that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, and they're not in the industry that I'm having to pitch. And, um, you know, when, when you're saying you're, you're just fucking tired of it, I'm the same way. <laughs> it's like, because there, there is enough. Like, that's the whole frustration. It's not like we don't have enough resources for everybody. It's oh a lie. It is a lie. There is enough. And I'll say this too. There's a surplus. There's, I was, a, surplus. There's I, a surplus. You know, I'm in New York and surrounded by bankers. And if yeah. I hear one more guy be like, there is so much money out there. And like, we can't even deploy our whole fund. Like we have, we have plenty of money left in the fund. We just can't deploy it. We can't find places to put the capital. And I'm like, uh, we're looking for capital. We just don't fit into what they're doing. There's thesis, it's family office capital. It's, there's so much well, money. Well, the sad part is, and the sad part is, is like, okay, we don't fit, but that's not our problem. You need to shift how you're wanting to give the money out. You, you can make that change. It's a, it's a eraser on a pencil. Change how you want to give your money and make it happen. So it's a bunch of bullshit and it's a scam and it's a lie. And I'll say this too. And that's, and that's part of the meditation piece of it is knowing that we're not crazy. Now, this oh is, my not God, crazy. you know, <laughs> you I know? had a show like, called You're Not Crazy. Yeah, we're not crazy. <laughs> they are bold-faced lying in, in your face. Like, and, and the funny thing is, that actually makes me feel a little better because because I know it's a lie means that there's an opportunity for something else. 
but well, that's the thing. But like, so the truth is there is a surplus that's right. of capital in our country that is sitting in some rich white person's bank account, whether mm-hmm. it's a hedge fund, a family office, an endowment, whatever it is at a university that yeah. they don't know how to, they're hiring all these fund managers to figure out how to deploy the capital. And some of them have a quote DE&I lens and they want to fund more female founders, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, and yes, they want to make money. And by the way, so do we, we're a profitable company and we are Mm -hmm. growing and scaling. So like, I just send people our P&Ls. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. here you go. Do you want to invest? And actually that's been working better. When people are like, do you have a deck? I'm like, no, bitch don't have time to fucking write a deck. Mm -hmm. Yep. Essentially. Oh, by the way, I'm bringing my second person onto the board five years in. So it, it, it totally takes get it. It takes it time. T- it takes time. So, and for those listeners who are just tuning in, when I first interviewed Winona six or seven months ago, whatever it was, she was talking about how she needs to start thinking about her board of directors and board of advisors. And you don't just go and find that overnight. And I That's was right. telling her at that point, iPhone women was like four and a half years old or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And we only had one board member and we're now bringing on our second. So mm-hmm. Winona, you it take your time. time. And, and you know what? I am very glad that I've been so precious about it because yeah. you and I have all heard stories of yep. people that <laughs> yep. put, you know, bring on board members, give them a ton of equity. They don't work out. Yada, yada. We've talked about this a million yep. times. So not happening. Kudos to you for taking it low and slow. But one of our board members or future soon to be board member, she said, And I've heard this from a lot, like with female founded companies, even though we have product market fit, even though we've got lots of revenue, we've got profits, et cetera, et cetera. In order to do a series A, you have to have one product that if the investor puts in a $10 million check, they are going to want to know how you're going to spit back out $50 million in revenue. And and that's it. Wow. And that's it. That's what it's, that's what a series A is about. It's like, you already have product market fit on your Mm -hmm. one product. And now you just need to throw gas on the fire as they call it. Yeah. And so we've got a marketplace with multiple products that all drive this flywheel of funding, like our coaching. When you do the coaching, you raise 27 times more on the crowdfunding round versus the industry average. Mm-hmm. We also have our enterprise broker grants where we broker grants on behalf of brands like Visa to our entrepreneurs. And that all ladders up to our number one core KPI, key performance indicator of funding mm-hmm. claim for women. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then we've got iPhone Women of Color, which is another product that drives yep. funding for women of color. So again, we've got four products within this marketplace. And what they want to see is one of them scale significantly. Right. But the rub, and I'll add on to that. We don't have a comp. That's the other thing that's been difficult for us to raise VC. You can't say we're like, yeah, we're not like the Uber for blah. That's our problem. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm like, yeah, we don't have a comp. We're a market creator. We're doing something totally innovative, totally totally different, innovating. Yeah. We're doing totally different. Elon Musk have a comp. No, he's a white guy, but but that's okay. Right. I was just about to say he didn't need to have one. He didn't need to have one. And so, you know, it's amazing how we're having to redefine new systems of funding and what does entrepreneur mean from a a woman's perspective, but also having to redefine just language. 
And yes. that's a hard, that's a hard thing because language is so multidimensional, uh, but it's always been led by a certain group of people, just like everything else. Uh, so it's, it's a lot. I'll also say this. So the, the family that owns the, the company that we are leasing the space for um, is a family whose father, the kids run it now, Herman, Herman Russell, H.J. Russell, prominent Atlanta real estate developer, Black real estate developer, um, wrote an amazing book, you know, Herman Russell Building Atlanta, H.J. Russell. And I, everyone should read that because it is a, just amazing lessons in, at the intersection of entrepreneurship, especially Black entrepreneurs being in the South, which honestly, you know, Southern problems are American problems, let's be clear. Um, but also yeah. um, knowing your role. And that's that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about quickly right now, Karen, that has helped me to, to deal with what we were just talking about, about imposter syndrome and wondering, are we the people that are supposed to make, supposed to shift and create new systems? And, and I actually met, met his daughter and son, two sons who run the company, because, and this is, this is how the conversation went. I, they, they said, hey, you read the book? I said, yes. And they said, we want to make sure you read it. What, tell us something that stuck out to you. I said, easy. Here's what stuck out to me. So Herman Russell, you know, he started working in the space as a teenager, which was unheard of um, with, with his dad and became, you know, became an adult, became a real estate developer. I mean, literally like half the skyline of Atlanta is because of him. The airport expansion is because of him and Mayor Maynard Jackson. I'm not going to go through all that history. But while he was doing this work as a real estate developer, he was close friends with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abra- Abernathy, Andrew Young, all of the civil rights activists that you that most people now you know know of if you have not heard of them. And he said in the book, Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, over his house and with the kids, and he had a big swimming pool. And he said MLK was a, like a, like a fish. I mean that that he, that guy could swim. So they were just talking around the pool, and you know he Herman told uh, Dr. King, you know, man, this is. I hate this because I'm over here doing all this real estate development, making all these connections, but I'm not on the front lines. I'm not marching with you all. Like I should be out there. You know, I'm a black man doing this work. It's embarrassing. I'm not helping you. And he said, Dr. King said, no, that's not your role. You're not supposed to be on the front. Everybody can't be on the front line. Everybody shouldn't be on the front lines. Why? Because while we're marching to tear down these oppressive systems, we need someone like you in the background building up new shit. He didn't say it like that. That's just the way I'm paraphrasing. Oh my gosh. Right. Winona, and he you said, just gave me permission to not go to the abortion march. Like you, I'm this is such you, a full like, circle moment. Oh my God. And, and that, that meant so much to me because my grandmother who taught me, I mentioned the meditation and mindfulness, she was big and working in civil rights. Like a lot of people's grandmothers were back then. And so I thought that that's what I needed to do, but it didn't feel like that was really my role. It was kind of, it's a weird feeling. It's like, I could do it, but I don't feel like I'm giving, that's going to, that's the space for me to, to be my all. And in Did reading you feel that, like it was a waste of like physical energy in a way? It, 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 yeah, it, it does. It does. Yeah, um, I relate to that. It's just not, it's just not my space. Like I'm it's just depleting. Not, also, it's, it's depleting. Depl- it's depleting. And you're yeah, right. That's not the space where we can make the most impact. So no, what I'm getting he, from you is focusing. Understanding your role and, and building out that role. Right. And so Dr. King also said, plus, <laughs> because you're meeting, you're, you're creating relationships with white, the Chamber of Commerce at the time, of course, all white, you know, uh, other real estate developers. What's going to happen is once two things. One, we're going to be arrested because we're marching. We need you to bail us out because you got money. Number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two, when we succeed with voting rights and more businesses for black, brown people, we need jobs. So because of what you're doing, you're going to have the jobs ready 
for us and for the people that we're fighting for to have an equitable life. Like that was the conversation. That's what that's what stuck out to me in that whole book. And so when I told his daughter and son, I met them at City Hall a couple of years. This was back in 2016. Um, they said, we're so happy you saw that because not enough people understand their role. And I said, I can now hold my head up higher because I understand that my parents and grandparents weren't necessarily training me and rearing me to, to have a role as the same as theirs. They were training me to be comfortable and to inspire in the role that makes more sense for me. And for me, it's about building new systems. It's not about being on the front line, tearing down shit that's really not going to change in a way. Not to say that you shouldn't do that, but just know that we have to think differently. We have to be around different people to get to where we're going to go. We can't do it by ourselves. And, and, and if being a poet, if being a writer, if being a protester is not your thing, perfect. What is your thing? And be that 200%. So that's that is right that help. Yeah. That's, that's what helps me to move forward. I'm not going to, I can't solve everything. I don't need to solve everything. Not going to happen. Fuck it. <laughs> like, oh my God. I, I, I'm a like, that's what I do. Mic drop. Mic yeah. drop. Oh my God. I could talk to you for 25 hours, but let's end this properly. Winona. Get the, get the book. Get the book though. I need everybody to get that book. <laughs> I need oh, everybody yeah. to get that book. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone needs to get the book Building Atlanta by H.J. Yes. Russell, Herman J. Yes. Russell, Building Atlanta. Yes. It's on Amazon. I'm doing Audible. I'm big on Audible right now because I can't read Perfect. stuff, but I drive mm-hmm. a lot. But mm-hmm. Winona, you just coached me. And I want to say thank you. I needed this. Like Mercury's in retrograde, which is is. not good. But for some reason, somebody, the goddesses brought you to me today on a crazy ass day when we're like fitting in and it's perfect timing. And I want to say like, I see you completely and you appreciate it completely. And whenever you have the feeling like, fuck, am I supposed to like, can I do this? (laughs) And if I'm having that feeling, I'm just going to text you. Please do. We have to help. We have to hold each other up. We have to, we, even if it's just for two minutes, it, it, it changes everything. And that's why I'm so appreciative of you, Karen and I fund women. And because uh, holding space for that is just, we, we can always hold the space. Sometimes we need somebody else to do it. We just need to be present and remembering about this podcast coming up. I said, damn, this is some good timing. <laughs> this isn't really yeah. good for a whole lot of reasons. Oh yeah. And here we, here we go. So proud of you and proud of what we are accomplishing here and we do damn deserve it let's end on that winona love you <laughs> love you guys love you peace Karen. talk to you soon i'll be calling That's you right. back soon